good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad to be with you here on this ninth day of Christmas, digging into God's Word. We're going to follow up on the series we just closed out last night on Sunday night. We've been going through the four Gospels on Sunday nights, looking at the four voices that we find there, speaking of who Jesus is as he comes into the world. We saw that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then also in Acts, which was written by Luke, and Revelation, written later by John. And we saw how each one gives us a bit more of the picture of what happens that we're celebrating as Jesus comes into the world. And tonight we're going to turn to the source of the preaching that Peter does in Acts chapter 2 as he tells the world about who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus has done. Because Peter comes to that to call the people to repentance, as we see. But what we see is we, we see all these different pieces coming together is how amazing it is that God's word is so interconnected, how it's all telling this one giant story of, of God's love and his mercy. And that's what we're really going to get into tonight. We're also going to do something a little different tonight that we've never done before. We're going to wrap up our, our This Week at Little Hills psalm series that we did over the last year. We're going to see the last two psalms tonight as part of this. And we're also going to tie in with our 12 Days of Christmas devotional series. It's like a crossroads tonight, everything coming together, because God's word does come together and tell us a unified story. And so as we reflect on that tonight, let's go ahead and come before our God and ask that he'd help us to see these interconnections and then also see one more, how it connects with our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your goodness, for your love for how you are with us, and your word reminds us of that. Lord, would you help us to, to see the truth of your word today, to apply it to our hearts, and to proclaim it to those around us in this new year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're like me, you're, you're still not ready for Christmas to be over. I'm never ready, and, and I sometimes will even look to the, the Eastern Orthodox calendar that where Christmas doesn't even take place until Saturday, so I can push it out further because I love the Christmas season. But whether you're still ready to keep singing carols and lighting up your lights and celebrating, or you're thinking, oh, we made it past New Year's, I, I'm ready to go back to, to normal life, wherever you might be, one thing that we're probably all glad to be past is some of the chaos of the holiday shopping season. And that's been softened in recent years with being able to go online and shop. But of course, I think most of us, if not all of us, remember plenty of times that we were in stores with the hustle and bustle right before Christmas. People standing in line, maybe going in for that present you forgot to get, and you look at the line as you come up to the checkout and think, oh no. I remember when I was just newly ordained and serving in a church over by O'Fallon that one of the places I love to go, I'd go there oftentimes when I went to get lunch in the middle of the day, would be the O'Fallon Kmart. And I, I liked going there at Christmas time because it was completely dead inside. There wasn't anyone there. You could go online, and they were one of the first places that let you order online and pick up in store. And so I, I'd order stuff online. I could go in. I could get my Christmas uh, decorations or shopping. I could do it. I could leave, and I didn't have to battle any crowds. Now, of course, that's also why they're not there anymore. Another reason that they weren't there anymore, and I think part of the reason why people weren't so eager to shop there, is it had become this weird time capsule to Kmart history. You could look around the store and see some of the signs that decor dated back to the 1970s when they'd first built that Kmart, and other signage around the store was from the 1990s when Kmart tried to do a bit of a revival and, and deal with the fact that Walmart was quickly devouring their business. 
And then more in the 2000s when Sears and Kmart merged and they were going to be this new retail giant that somehow was going to bring together each other's strengths. And and, and so all this was sort of scattered about along with some of this new signage proclaiming that you can now shop online there. And it was just kind of odd. It was kind of fascinating to me, but it was odd. And I, I think what it showed is that, sure, there were plenty of employees there going about their day, but they were basically just going through the ritual of being a Kmart employee, making sure the lights turned on and so on, checking people out, but but not really trying to do anything to save the store. And and likewise, the management, they weren't coming in and saying, oh, we need to update this store and have it all coherent again and have it look fresh and alive. They, they were just kind of content to keep sweeping the decks and turning the lights on and off and calling it a day. And now there are hardly any Kmarts left in the world. There's just a couple dozen at most. And likewise, Sears, they're, they're virtually gone. You can't go anywhere in our area and even find one because they've all closed because they just went through the rituals until it ended. And sometimes we do that with God. A lot of times we do that with God. Because just as, as they had sort of lost their way and they'd wandered from being a successful retail store, we wander away from being successful at following our God and doing what he's truly called us to do. We chase after other things. The Israelites chased after idols and then chased after legalism. We may do those things literally. We may find other things that we chase after, but we allow our attention to be diverted from our God. Yet we hold on to some of the ritual because it somehow feels right. And we end up turning lights on and off and acting like nothing can be done. And we just wait for the day that the store closes. Is that what we're doing? Or can we do something different in this year? God calls us to something different. And that's what we see in the prophet Joel. When Peter quotes from the prophet Joel, as we saw last night in Acts 2, as he's preaching that first amazing sermon on Pentecost, as he's doing that, what's he doing? He's saying, you know that these things have been foretold. Now you need to actually respond to them. And you need to understand that this one that you've been waiting for, the Messiah, has come, that he's been born in this world. He not only has been born in this world, he he walked in this world, he, he taught in this world, he lived and suffered and died for, in this world. Some of you actually were the ones calling for his death, literally, and all of us are calling for his death by our actions, at least metaphorically. Our actions are what put him on the cross. And he preaches this amazing message, and the people respond. That's what we see that what they're doing is they're responding to these words that that Peter's preaching, but Joel had preached long ago. And let's look at what Joel had to say. He said, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and give and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. You see, at, at any point, especially when we realize that we are out of accord with God's will, we can start to, to get into that closing down retail store type mindset where we just do what we have to do in the moment. Many of the people in Joel's time, and there's debate on exactly when that time was. Was it early in earlier in Israel's history, before the exile, maybe between kings and the people, of course, during that time keep chasing after other gods? Was it during that time and they need to be called back? Was it after the exile when they'd returned and yet they were still straying frequently? 
we don't know for sure. But what we can say is what is true about the prophet Joel is he's speaking to what, as I was mentioning earlier, we all do. And so rather than getting bogged down on exactly when it's happening, it's worth hearing that over and over again, human beings, we're going to wander, and yet God is always calling us to mercy. And that's what he's saying here. Yes, there's going to be natural disasters. There's going to be human-caused disasters. There's going to be consequences to our sin. But what we need to know is that behind the brokenness of this world is a God who is loving and ready to restore us. He's not changing his mind when he restores us. It's not like he proclaims judgment as we see in the first part of Joel in chapter 1 and the first part of 2, proclaims judgment on the people of God, and then Joel says, well, maybe you can bribe him by doing good things into to changing his mind. It's not that kind of thing. That's sometimes how it feels from a human perspective, that, that we see what God is doing, and, and we think, well, we've changed his mind. We acted better, and he changed his mind. But what's God actually doing? He's being our loving Heavenly Father, and he's calling us. He's saying, this is the consequence that comes from doing the things you're doing. But he's always willing to have us walk away from it. The declaration of God's judgment isn't meant to to beat us down and leave us hopeless, but rather to say, but we can do different. We can turn towards our God and experience his love. That's not a changing of God's mind. It's consistent with everything he ever does. He loves you and he loves me. He wants us to follow him. What do we see as Peter refers back to this in his preaching and tells them, and guess what has happened? The Messiah himself's come into the world, the one who who ushers in God's full salvation that Joel was talking about, and you missed it? He doesn't say, well, now just live in your sins, and everyone there starts wailing and gnashing their teeth and realizes they've missed the boat. That's not how it goes. What what are we told? What does Luke say happens? The people are cut to the heart. They They hear this preaching, and they realize... This judgment that we're hearing about, this story that in which we have so far played the role that God condemns rather than the one that he calls us to, we need to do differently. And so they're cut to their heart. They, they ask Peter what to do, and Peter calls them to the same sort of repentance that Joel talks about. And that's exactly what God's word is meant to do in our lives. We're in a new year. Maybe yesterday you began a Bible reading plan to read through the Bible or a portion of it in, in a year. And if you haven't, it's a wonderful thing to do. It'd be probably, not probably, it would be the best resolution that, that we could make as a people, that we're going to spend time in God's word and, and allow it to speak to us. But that second part is the key to what makes it a good resolution. We can resolve to read God's word in a year and we can mechanically open up God's word and, and read a certain number of pages every day and get through it in a year or, or, or the New Testament in a year or the Psalms in a year or whatever it might be. We can do that, but are we actually allowing it to speak to us? You see, when, when Peter reads from Joel to the people on that first Pentecost, they're ready to let God's word speak to them. They're cut to the heart. They respond. What I need to ask myself and what we all should ask ourselves as, as we read God's word, am I allowing it to cut me to the heart? For, for God's word to speak to those places where I am falling short and to experience God's call to repentance. We're all called to it again and again. Or am I going through the empty ritual? I'm, I'm just in the old Kmart stores that's getting ready to close. I, I'm reading through. I, I know what I need to do every day. I, I know what my shift requires, but it's not changing anything. Are we hearing what God's word is actually saying? Because as we 
we take that scary step to allow even the judgment passages to speak to us and our own actions and our own ways that we wander from God, it, it doesn't need to be something that's depressing and, and causes us to sulk and, and feel hopeless, but rather something that allows us to feel true hope. Because God isn't the God who simply judges. God is the God who reconciles. Today in our 12 Days of Christmas reading, we're looking in Colossians chapter 1, and in one of the verses we look at is Colossians 1 verse 20. And Paul, reflecting on what Jesus does, says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When we read what we see in the judgment passages in, in the minor prophets and the major prophets, when we, when we hear when Jesus calls people to repentance, when we hear Paul or the other apostles call people to repentance, and, and, and we actually allow our defenses down and allow it to speak to us, we're, we're not doing that in a way that, that should cause us to, to run in fear, but, but rather to recognize, wait, I'm broken. I need God to fix me. And God's willing and ready to do so. That's the promise of that, that reconciling ministry of Jesus. That It's not that we have everything right and then Jesus says, okay, you passed the test. But rather, we call on the name of the Lord. Listen to what Joel says in two, chapter 2, verse 32. He says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. All those who call on the name of the Lord. Paul actually quotes that passage in Romans 10 as he's talking about the need to preach the gospel. To say what, what we need to do is let people know about the good news of Jesus, they know they need to repent, what we see in Acts 2, so they know they need to repent so that they can and they can experience that reconciliation. That we have such a wonderful, hopeful message and we need to proclaim it. We also need to allow it to speak into our own lives and hearts. Is that where I am tonight? Is that where you are? Are we allowing God's reconciliation, his restoration to speak to our hearts? Or are we merely at times allowing the judgment to to creep in and cause us to think, well, maybe I can do better. What we need to do is recognize that when we turn to God, that we don't need to fear when we read about the judgments. When we read about, for example, in, in, in Joel 1 in the first part of 2, the bad things that are going to happen, yes, some of those are going to continue to happen, but, but the people can experience restoration in that moment as they turn to the Lord. Verse 21, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, the, the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. What are we being told there? That God is a God who restores. God is a God who, who isn't going to leave us in a broken place. And he's not going to leave his creation in general in a broken place. Notice what it says here. It starts with the land itself, the land that's been made barren by the plague. It's going to be restored. And that promise is a promise that's true today. We look at natural disasters and what they do to some of our land. We look at, at our human-made errors, our pollution, and just mistakes that we make that often destroy the land and leave it scarred. We look at that. God's going to fix that. He's not going to leave his creation broken and and he's going to make it beautiful and wonderful as it was when he first made it. So too his creatures. 
we're told that the beasts of the field, they're going to experience God's restoring, what he's going to do. <coughs> he's going to, to make things right for everything that he has made. And that includes his people, too. That, that someday, as everything is restored, we will dwell in that restored earth, all who turn and call on the name of the Lord. But, but in the moment, it doesn't feel much like that, does it, oftentimes? We, we look and it seems like evil is triumphing and we think, how is it that everything's going to be restored? And Peter even says that this passage is being fulfilled back in Acts 2, but evil is triumphing. I, I, was, I was so struck before Christmas, I saw a series of, of letters someone had compiled of, of children in Ukraine who had who'd sent letters to Santa. And they're just, they're heartbreaking. One little girl wrote and said that she didn't want the toy that she'd been wanting after all because she wanted her dad, who was on the front lines, to have clothes to keep him warm in the winter instead. And uh, another little boy wrote and pleaded with Santa to be careful so he wouldn't be shot down by by the air defenses. Another little kid wrote and, and said that that all she wanted was for her dad to come home alive. We, we read these and we think, this isn't what they're supposed to be writing to Santa about. I mean, it's beautiful, and yet, how heartbreaking. This is not what it's supposed to be like. This seems like evil is triumphing, that these little kids, instead of writing Santa for, for a toy that they wanted, are, are writing just hoping that maybe their, their parents don't die in war. We think, it seems like evil is triumphing. What, how can it be that this, this was fulfilled? Psalm 149, one of our, our last psalms that we're looking at this year, in our reading plan that we started last January, says that God is, isn't going to leave it that way. He says he's going to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgments written. This is the honor for all the godly ones. Praise the Lord. You might say, that sounds like an odd thing to praise God for. But when we look at the brokenness and the pain in the world, so much of it that we bring on ourselves, but also just the things that even when we're at our best are happening in the world, this is a promise is that that won't be allowed to continue. Anyone who hears this and turns to the Lord and chooses to do what's pleasing to him instead can be part of those people of God who praise him when this happens, but those who, who shake their fists at God, the, the leaders of the world who execute evil, those who, who are agents not of God's restoration but of destruction, they will go away in chains. They will face God's ultimate judgment. It's the critical difference we see in these two sorts of proclamations of judgment in Scripture. On the one hand, we see judgment in the sense that's going to come on God's people, that's going to reform them, that's going to bring them back to him. But then we also see that ultimate judgment for those who choose not to follow the Lord. God calls us not to, to participate in that, but rather to be a part of his people and to rejoice. And he gives us this fully orbed picture, even as judgment's going to come down on his people, even as they've done wicked, so that they understand that, that in the end, while they may be receiving punishment, they may also experience the natural consequences of their sin. And, and certainly, I, I think we all know at times that our mistakes and our evil do lead to natural consequences that we we have to work through for a period of time that he hasn't left us. I like how Melanie put it the other day. She and I were talking about the prophet Jeremiah and his ministry and his book of the Bible. And, and you think about that, and there, that book of Jeremiah, and a lot of it's very, very dark. There's so much judgment going on, but it 
also keeps coming back to God's restoration. And she said, it seems like this whole letter is about God and how he walks with his people, even through their own mistakes. I think that's a great way to look at the the prophets in general and the proclamations of judgment in the Bible in general, because they're not they're not there to say God has abandoned you and he's never coming back. People are going to experience an exile and Jeremiah's foretelling of that. But Jeremiah wants them to know, and more specifically, God wants them to know he hasn't left them. They might conclude that they might see the natural consequences of their own sin and their own wickedness and their own abandonment of the Lord and think, well, now he's gone and we might as well just go back to that closing down retail store mindset because there's no hope left. But over and over again, it comes back to restoration so that the people understand God's walking through it with them. Yes, at times God will bring discipline on his people, but he doesn't leave them. He goes through it with them. What better testimony of that than what Jesus does by coming into the world and receiving the punishment that we should have received? Then he reconciles us. Well, how do we make sense of this, though? Peter says that this this prophecy that we find in Joel 2 has taken place in the day of Pentecost, and yet we say, but the, the evil that's supposed to go in chains in Psalm 149 still hasn't. We still see horrible wars and, and illness and all these things. How do we make sense of that? I really like what Alan Johnson says uh, on this in reflecting on the prophet Joel. He says, Meanwhile, like an ever-rolling river, the central current of God's basic promise sweeps steadily onward toward the final shore, where the great controller of the flow of Earth's history shall gather up all the various waves of prophecy to himself in complete fulfillment. When we think about what happened at Pentecost, that that sermon that Peter's preaching, and he says, this is happening. God is fulfilling this in this day. What he's saying is that you're experiencing part of it. Sort of like if you go and stand by a river, you're experiencing part of the, the water that flows through that river. That this is happening, and yet it hasn't fully happened yet. We haven't yet seen God restore everything, the, the land that's been damaged, the the the. the the animals that suffer, the people that suffer. We still see evil often feeling like it's triumphing. And yet when we look to Pentecost and we look more fully to the the incarnation from the birth of Jesus all the way up through his ministry and then into that giving of the Holy Spirit, when we look at that whole picture, what are we seeing? We're seeing a sign that the full fulfillment will come. That that God hasn't forgotten what he said in the book of Joel. He hasn't forgotten that he's offered not only that there's going to be judgment coming in the future, but that he's the God who reconciles that anyone who turns to him will experience his redeeming love. And so we see in the, the moment, yeah, the world's still broken. Yes, physically the world still feels very much under the effects of the fall, and yet there's something beautiful happening now as we turn to the Lord and we experience a relationship with him. We look at Joel 2.28, He says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. (coughs) This is very much like what we saw the other day in Psalm 145, where the psalmist says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. You see, when when Peter cites that, we might think, well, that's an interesting 
quote from Joel or we read through Joel and we say, well, that's interesting. Why is he talking about servants uh, receiving his spirit and, and old men and young men? What, what's the point of that? If you look at that, it's listing everyone from the lowest to the highest, everyone from young to old, men and women, all, everyone has the opportunity to be in relationship to our God. As the psalmist promises, all those who draw near to him will experience that nearness. And it's for all people, and it's not just for a moment in time where, where we read about in the Old Testament where the Spirit of the Lord comes on someone for a purpose, for a moment to, to, to convey a message of prophecy, that sort of thing. But rather, that every person who calls on the name of the Lord can actually experience the, the immediate restoration of a relationship with him that involves the Spirit actually coming upon us, that, that we're no longer separated from our God. And once we understand that, and once we experience the Spirit working in us, it helps us to start to, to chip away at, at what obscures understanding the rest of the world and how it's going. Yes, it's still broken, but we can start to see that, that what God has done for us, he's going to do for all of creation. All of it will be restored. I talked last night about a fascinating story about a, a shuttle mission. And as I was researching it, try, trying to better understand it for the illustration in last night's message, I, I ran across another astronaut that had been on that mission, Bob Senker. And, and he was actually sent up there into to orbit to help launch a, a satellite he designed. He worked for a private contractor that was working with NASA. And, and in the years afterwards, he's reflected at different points on that that joy of getting to go up into space and how amazing it was. But he reflected on it in particular as a believer, as someone who very much believes in the existence of God. And he reflected on both his take on what he saw in space and what a, a colleague of his who was on that mission did as an agnostic. And he said the agnostic friend of his looked out at space when they arrived up there and, and felt like it just proved that there couldn't be a God in the world because it felt so vast and so empty. But because he was reflecting with that, that chipping away of the vision that, that the Holy Spirit provides to us, because he was looking out there and looking at the wonder of everything made, he said he looked out there and he exclaimed, God, you have to be out there. That's what he took away. And it struck me, yes, that's, that, that's what happened to him up in space, but, but how much more is that what we experience too? We can get caught up in the brokenness of the world and, and how messed up it is and the heartbreaking letters to Santa I mentioned earlier and the heartbreak as people are starving in different parts of the world and the way that power corrupts people and, and, and evil seems to triumph and we can say either God isn't out there or God doesn't care. Or what we can do is actually hear that God has said these things will happen. But he's already shown through his His spirit coming into the world through the, the very Son of God coming into the world, God incarnate with us, Emmanuel being in the world, that that's not the end of the story. So we can praise him in this moment. And we can reflect with great joy that he is going to make all things new. As we hold on to that, as we as we reflect back on this Christmas season and we reflect back on the, on the different studies that are converging that we're talking about right now, I, I thought it's so fitting that we can look at Psalm 150. The very last Psalm from our journey through the Psalms started last January. We, we read this yesterday as our call to worship. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound and praise him with lute and harp. 
Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It doesn't always feel like it in the moment. And when we're experiencing God's judgment, the last thing we often think is, I want to praise God. But when we start to see, but this judgment is a call to come back to him. And that God is going to fulfill that. That river is ultimately going to reach its, its destination. All the prophecies, the promises will reach their destination. And, and someday the land will be restored. The creatures of the earth will be restored. You and I will be restored. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be restored. We go from desperation in, in the brokenness of the moment to understanding that God is the God who restores. May we hold on to that, not just at Christmas, not just a few months later at Easter, but every single day, because every single day is a testimony of God doing that. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for being a God who has mercy on us, who loves us, who is with us in circumstances of our own doing and not of our doing that are, are not of your plan and your will. Forgive us for when we turn away from you, and give us hope in that. Lord, would you help us never to believe that we've turned too far, but we would always hear your call to turn back. The very words that, that Joel proclaimed from you, that why not turn back right now? Whatever we might be holding on to tonight, Lord, would you help us to set it down before you and to turn to you? For you have shown us great and wondrous signs, none greater, Father, than to send your Son and greater than to have him take on our punishment for us and to draw us into, into the wonders of your kingdom. And so it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, I do hope that tonight has been an encouragement to you as we thought about this convergence of different parts of Scripture and how it reminds us of God's restoration. And if it has, I'd encourage you, please give this a like and a share. I, I know you hear me say this, but truly, if you post on your wall, this was encouraging to me. You should check it out. Or you send it in an email to a friend. You offer to sit down and watch it with somebody and, and go through these promises of God. I know there's someone in each of our lives that needs to hear these promises. They're written for all of us, and they're written for us in the very humanness that we find ourselves in right now, the brokenness, because God is here as an agent of reconciliation. That's what we proclaim at Christmas, and it's something I love about it. And I love the season of Christmas with the 12 days of Christmas because it gives us a little more time to soak it up. And it's not too late to soak up some of what we're doing at Little Hills for that. We have a Christmas stream still streaming all the way through this weekend, streaming wonderful Christmas music and fireplace scenes and devotionals from the past few years from our from Little Hills and from our friends at other local churches. You'll You'll definitely want to check that out. Also... We still have our 12 Days of Christmas devotional booklet going. I mentioned it earlier. You can download it at littlehills.church slash devotional. Start today. It doesn't hurt to start in the middle. You can always cycle back to the beginning if you want after we get through it, however you'd like to do it, but do check it out. And then please join us for Epiphany Sunday in person or online. We'd love to have you. It will be joyful at 5.30 p.m. back to our normal time this Sunday. It's a wonderful time to reflect on on God's goodness and his love. It's going to be a very special service. We have some special surprises for you, so please do make plans to be there for that. Also, during that service, we're going to begin our brand new series to kick off the year, Trailblazer, looking at Matthew 6. We're 
continuing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're looking at some really practical things that Jesus talks about, about how do we live the Christian life, the very sorts of things that we often are thinking about in January. So, so check that out, Trailblazer, starting this Sunday. And next week, we're going to wrap up this series foretold. We have one more week of that because we're going to see how that ties in as we start that new series. And we also think about the coming of the wise men on Epiphany. We're going to look at a few more prophecies next week on Monday night. So please do join me Monday at 7 p.m. If there's any way in the meantime I can be praying for you, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. Leave a comment in the comments below. I love getting to hear from you. It's always a joy to get to pray for you. Well, in the meantime, I look forward to seeing you at some of these other things, but I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week in the meantime, and I hope you ha continue to have a Merry Christmas and a blessed New Year.